CD7. For some reason, Polly ended up patrolling with Maledict and Wazza, or, to put it another way, a vampire on the edge and a girl who was possibly so far over it that she'd found a new edge out beyond the horizon. She was changing every day, that was a fact. On the day they'd all joined up a lifetime ago, she'd been this shivering little waif who flinched at shadows. Now, sometimes, she seemed taller, full of some ethereal certainty, and shadows fled before her. Well, not in actual fact, Polly would admit, but she walked as if they should. And then there had been the miracle of the turkey. That was hard to explain. The three of them had been moving along the cliffs. They'd circled a couple of Slovenian lookout posts, forewarned by the smell of cooking fires, but alas not by the smell of any coffee. Maledict seemed to be mostly in control, except for a tendency to mutter to himself in letters and numbers, but Polly had stopped that by threatening to hit him with a stick the very next time he did it. They'd reached a cliff edge that gave yet another view of the keep, and once again Polly raised a telescope and scanned the sheer walls and jumbled rocks for any sign of another entrance. "'Look down at the river,' said Wazza. The circle of view blurred upwards as Polly shifted the scope. When it stopped moving, she saw whiteness. She had to lower the instrument to see what she'd been looking at. "'Oh, my!' she said. "'There's Blouse's secret entrance, right where anyone can see it.' "'It'll make sense, though,' said Maledict. "'And there is a path all along the river, see. There's a couple more women on it.' "'Tiny gateway, though,' said Polly. "'And it'd be so easy to search people for weapons.' "'Soldiers couldn't get through, though,' said the vampire. "'We could,' said Polly. "'And we're soldiers, aren't we?' There was a pause before Maledict said, "'Soldiers need weapons. Swords and crossbows get noticed.' "'There will be weapons inside,' said Wazza. "'The Duchess has told me. The castle is full of weapons.' "'Did she tell you how to make the enemy let go of them?' said Maledict. "'All right, all right,' said Polly quickly. "'We ought to tell the Rupert as soon as possible, OK? Let's get back.' "'Hold on, I'm the corporal,' said Maledict. "'Well?' said Polly. And? Let's get back, said Maledict. Good idea. She should have listened to the bird song. she realised later. The shrill calls in the distance would have told her the news if only she'd been calm enough to listen. They hadn't gone more than thirty yards before they saw the soldiers. Someone in the Slovenian army was dangerously clever. He'd realised that the way to spot interlopers was not to march noisily along the beaten paths, but to sneak quietly between the trees. The soldier had a crossbow. It was sheer luck, probably sheer luck, that he was looking the other way when Polly came around a holly bush. She flung herself behind a tree and gestured madly at Maledict further down the path, who had the sense to take cover. Polly drew her sword and held it, clutched to her chest in both hands. She could hear the man. He was some way away, but he was moving toward her. Probably the little lookout they had just found was a regular point on the patrol route. After all, she thought bitterly. It was just the sort of thing some untrained idiots might come across. Maybe a quiet patrol could even surprise them there. She shut her eyes and tried to breathe normally. This was it. This was it. This was it. This was where she found out. What to remember. What to remember. What to remember. When the metal meets the meat, be holding the metal. She could taste metal in her mouth. The man would walk right past her. He'd be alert but not that alert. A slash would be better than a stab. 
Yes, a good swipe at head height would kill. Some mother's son, some sister's brother, some lad who'd followed the drum for a shilling in his first new suit. If only she'd been trained, if only she'd had a couple of weeks stabbing straw men until she could believe that all men were made of straw. She froze. Down the angle of the path, still as a tree, head bowed, stood Wazza. As soon as the scout reached Polly's tree, she'd be seen. She'd have to do it now. Perhaps that's why men did it. You didn't do it to save duchesses or countries. You killed the enemy to stop him killing your mates, that they, in turn, might save you. She could hear the cautious tread close to the tree. She raised the sabre, saw the light flash along its edge. A wild turkey rose from the scrub on the other side of the path in one rocketing tower of wings and feathers and echoing noise. Half flying, half running, it bounded off into the woods. There was the thud of a bow and a last squawk. "'Oh, good shot, Woody,' said a voice nearby. "'Looks like a big un.' "'Did you see that?' said another voice. "'Another step and I'd have tripped over it.' Behind her tree, Polly breathed out. A third voice, some way off, called out, "'Let's head back, eh, Cop? "'The way that went off, the tiger's probably run a mile.' "'Yeah, and I'm so scared.' said the closest voice. The tiger's behind every tree, right? OK, let's call it a day. My wife will cook him a treat. Gradually, the voices of the soldiers got lost among the trees. Polly lowered the sword. She saw Maledict peer out of his bush and stare at her. She raised a finger to her lips. He nodded. She waited until the bird song had settled down a little before stepping out. Wazza seemed to be lost in thought. Polly took her very carefully by the hand, Quietly, dodging from tree to tree, they headed back to the hollow. Most particularly, Polly and Maledict didn't talk, but they looked one another in the eye once or twice. Of course, a turkey would lie low until a hunter almost trod on it. Of course, that one must have been there all the time, and only lost its bird nerve when the scout crept up. It had been an unusually large bird, one that no hungry soldier could resist, but... Well... Since the brain treacherously does not stop thinking just because you want it to, Polly's added, She said the Duchess could move small things. How small is a thought in the mind of a bird? Only Jade and Igorina were waiting for them in the hollow. The others had found a better base a mile away, they said. We found the secret entrance, said Polly quietly as they headed away. Can we get in? said Igorina. "'It's the washerwoman's entrance,' said Maledict. "'It's right down by the river, but there's a path.' "'Washerwomen?' said Igor. "'But this is a wall.' "'Clothes still get dirty, I suppose,' said Polly. "'Dirtier, I should think,' said Maledict. "'But our countrywomen washing clothes for the enemy,' said Igorina, looking shocked. "'If it's that or starve, yes,' said Polly. "'I saw a woman come out carrying a basket of loaves.' They say the keep is full of granaries. Anyway, you sewed up an enemy officer, didn't you? That's different, said Igorina. We are duty-bound to save our fellow ma person. Nothing has ever been said about his, uh, their underwear. We could get in, said Polly, if we disguised ourselves as women. Silence greeted this, then disguised, said Igorina. You know what I mean, said Polly. As... "'Washerwomen?' said Igorina. "'These are virgins' hands.' "'Really? Where did you get them?' said Maledict. Igorina stuck out her tongue at him. 
Anyway, I don't intend that we should do any washing, said Polly. Then what do you intend? said Igorina. Polly hesitated. You know I want to get my brother out if he's in there, she said, and if we could stop the invasion, that would be a good idea. That might take extra starch, said Maledict. I don't want to, you know, spoil the spirit of the moment, but that is a really awful idea. The L.T. won't agree to something as wild as that. No, he won't, said Polly, but he'll suggest it. Hmm, said Blouse a little later. Washerwomen, is that usual, Sergeant Jackram? Oh, yes, sir. I expect the women in the villages round here do it, just like they did when we held the keep, said Jackram. You mean they provide aid and comfort to the enemy? Why? Better than starving, sir. Fact of life. It doesn't always stop at washing, neither. Sergeant, there are young men here, snapped Blouse, blushing. They'll have to find out about ironing and darning sooner or later, sir, said Jackram innocently. Blouse opened his mouth. Blouse shut his mouth. Tea's up, sir, said Polly. Tea was an amazingly useful thing. It gave you an excuse to talk to anyone. They settled in what remained of a half-ruined farmhouse. By the look of it, not even patrols bothered to come here. There were no signs of lit fires or even the most temporary occupation. It stank of decay, and half the roof was gone. Do the women just come and go, Perks? said the lieutenant. Yes, sir said Polly. And I had an idea, sir. Permission to tell you my idea, sir? She saw Jackram raise an eyebrow. She was laying it on thick, she had to admit, but time was pressing. Please do, Perks, said Blouse. Else I fear you may explode. They could be spies for us, sir. We could even get them to open the gates for us. Well done, Private, said Blouse. I do like a soldier to think. Yeah, right, growled Jackram. "'Any sharper and he'll cut yourself, sir. "'They're washerwomen, sir, basically. "'No offence to young Perks, keen lad that he is, "'but your average guard pays attention "'when old Mother Riley tries to open the gates. "'There's not just a pair of gates, neither. "'There's six pairs, and nice little courtyards between them "'for the guards to have a squint at you "'and see if you's a wrong un. "'And drawbridges, and spiky ceilings "'that drop down if someone doesn't like the look of you. "'Try opening that lot with soapy hands.' "'I'm afraid the sergeant has a point, Perks,' said Blouse, sadly. "'Well, supposing a couple of women managed to knock out a few guards, sir, "'they could let us in through their little door,' said Polly. "'We might even be able to capture the commander of the fort, sir. "'I bet there's plenty of women in the keep, sir, in the kitchens and so on. "'They could open doors for us.' "'Oh, come on, Perks,' Jackram began. "'No, sergeant, wait,' said Blouse. "'Astonishingly enough, Perks, in your boyish enthusiasm you have, "'although you haven't realised it, given me a very interesting idea.' "'Have I, sir?' said Polly, "'who in her boyish enthusiasm had considered trying to tattoo the idea on Blouse's head. "'For someone so clever he really was slow. "'Indeed you have, Perks,' said Blouse, "'because, of course, we only need one washerwoman to get us inside, do we not?' "'The quotes sounded promising. "'Well,' "'Yes, sir,' said Polly. "'And if one, as it were, thinks outside of the box, "'the woman does not in fact need to be a woman.' "'Blouse beamed. "'Polly allowed her brow to wrinkle in honest puzzlement. "'Doesn't she, sir?' she said. "'I don't think I quite understand, sir. "'I am perplexed, sir.' "'She could be a man, Perks.' said Blouse, almost exploding with delight. One of us, in disguise. 
Polly breathed a sigh of relief. Sergeant Jackram laughed. "'Bless you, sir, dressing up as a washerwoman is for getting out of places, military rules!' "'If a man gets inside, he could disable any guards near the door, spy out the situation from a military perspective, and let the rest of the troops in,' said Blouse. "'If this was done at night, men, we could be holding key positions by the morning.' "'But these aren't men, sir,' said Jackram. Polly turned. The sergeant was looking right at her, right through her. "'Oh, darn, I mean damn, he knows.' "'I beg your pardon?' "'They are my little lads, sir,' Jackram went on, winking at Polly. "'Keen lads, full of mustard, but they ain't ones for cutting throats and stabbing hearts. They signed out to be pikemen in the press, sir, in a proper army. You are my little lads,' I says to him, when I signed them up, "'and I will look after you. I can't stand by and let you take them to certain death.' "'It's my decision to make, sergeant.' said Blouse. We are at the hinge of destiny. Who in the pinch is not ready to lay down his life for his country? In a proper stand-up fight, sir, not getting beaten over the head by a bunch of nasty men for creeping around their fort. You know I've never been one for spies and hiding your colours, sir, never. Sergeants, we have no choice. We must take advantage of the tide of fortune. I know about tide, sir. They leave little fish gasping. The sergeant stood up, fists clenching. "'Your concern for your men does you credit, sergeant, but it falls to us.' "'A famous last stand, sir,' said Jackram. He spat expertly into the fire of the tumble-down hearth. "'Twell with them, sir. That's just a way of dying famous.' "'Sergeant, your insubordination is getting—' "'I'll go,' said Polly quietly. Both men stopped, turned, and stared. "'I'll go,' Polly repeated louder. "'Someone ought to.' "'Don't be daft, Perks,' snaps Jackram. "'You don't know what's in there. "'You don't know what guards are waiting just inside the door. "'You don't know.' "'I'll find out then, Sarge, won't I?' said Polly, smiling desperately. "'Maybe I can get to somewhere where you can see and send signals, or—' "'On this issue, at least, the sergeant and I are of one mind, Perks,' said Blouse. "'Really, Private, it would simply not work.' Oh, you're brave, certainly, but what makes you think you stand a chance of passing yourself off as a woman? Well, sir, what? Your keenness will not go unrecorded, Perks, said Blouse, smiling. But, you know, a good officer keeps an eye on his men, and I have to say that I've noticed in you, in all of you, little habits. Perfectly normal, nothing to worry about, like the occasional deep exploration of a nostril, maybe, and a tendency to grin after passing wind— a natural boyish inclination to <clears throat> scratch your yourselves in public, that sort of thing. These are the kind of little details that would give you away in a trice and tell any observer that you were a man in women's clothing, believe me. I'm sure I could pull it off, sir, said Polly weakly. She could sense Jackram's eyes on her. You, blooming, you bloody well know, don't you? How long have you known? Blouse shook his head. No, they would see through you in a flash. You are a fine bunch of lads, but there is only one man here who'd stand a chance of getting away with it. Manacle? Yes, sir, said Shufty, rigid with instant panic. Can you all find me a dress, do you think? Maledict was the first to break the silence. Sir, are you telling us you're going to try to get in dressed as a woman? Well, I'm clearly the only one who's had any practice said Blouse, rubbing his hands together. At my old school, we were in and out of skirts all the time. 
he looked around at the circle of absolutely expressionless faces. Theatricals, you see, he said brightly. No girls at our boarding school, of course. But we didn't let that stop us. Why, my Lady Sprightly in a comedy of cuckolds is still talked about, I understand. And as for my yum-yum, is... is Sergeant Jackham all right? The sergeant had folded up, but with his face still level with his knees, he managed to croak, "'Old war wounds, sir, come upon me sudden-like.' "'Please help him, Private Eagle. Where was I? I can see you all look puzzled, but there's nothing strange about this. Fine old tradition men dressing up as girls. In the sixth form the chaps used to do it for their jape all the time.' He paused for a moment and added thoughtfully, "'Especially Rigglesworth, for some reason.' He shook his head as if dislodging a thought and went on, Anyway, I have some experience in this field, you see. And what would you do if, I mean, when you got in, sir, said Polly? You won't just have to fool the guards. There'll be other women in there. That will not present a problem, Perks, said Blouse. I shall act in a feminine way, and I have this stage tricked, you see, where I make my voice sound quite high-pitched like this. The falsetto could have scratched glass. See, he said, no. "'If we need a woman, I'm your man.' "'Amazing, sir,' said Maledict. "'For a moment I could have sworn there was a woman in the room. "'And I could certainly find out if there are any other badly guarded entrances,' Blouse went on. "'Who knows? I might even be able to procure a key off one of the guards by means of feminine wiles. "'In any case, if things are all clear, I shall send a signal. "'A towel hanging from a window, perhaps. "'Something clearly unusual, anyway.' "'There was... Some more silence. Several of the squad were staring at the ceiling. Yes, said Polly. I can see you've thought this out carefully, sir. Blouse sighed. If only Rigglesworth were here, he said. Why, sir? Amazingly clever chap at laying his hands on a dress, young Rigglesworth, said the lieutenant. Polly caught Maledict's eye. The vampire made a face and shrugged. Um, said Shifty. Yes, manacle. "'I do have a petticoat in my back, sir. "'Good heavens, why?' "'Shufty went red. "'She hadn't worked out an answer. "'Bandages, sir,' Igorina cut in smoothly. "'Yes, yes, that's right,' said Shufty. "'I had, I found it in the inn, back in Bloon. "'I asked the lads to acquire any suitable linen they might find, sir, "'just in case.' "'Very sound thinking, that man,' said Blouse. "'Anyone else got anything?' "'I wouldn't be at all surprised, sir.' said Igor, staring around the room. Glances were exchanged, packs were unslung, everyone except Polly and Maledict had something produced with downcast eyes, a shift, a petticoat, and, in most cases, a dimity scarf, carried out of some sort of residual, unexplainable need. "'You obviously must have thought we'd take serious damage,' said Blouse. "'Can't be too careful, sir,' said Igorina, she grinned at Polly. "'Of course, I have rather short hair at present,' Blouse mused. Polly thought of her ringlets, now lost and probably stroked by Strappy, but desperation spooled through her memory. "'They looked like older women, mostly,' she said quickly. "'They wore headscarves and wimples. I'm sure, Igory, sure Igor can make up something, sir.' "'We Igors are very resourceful, sir,' Igorina agreed. She pulled a black leather wallet out of her jacket. Ten minutes with a needle, sir, that's all I'll need.' "'Oh, I can do old women wonderfully well,' said Blouse. 
With a speed that made Lofty jump, he suddenly thrust out both hands, twisted like claws, contorted his face into an expression of mad imbecility, and screeched, "'Oh, dearie me! My poor old feet! Things today aren't like they used to be! Lorks!' Behind him, Sergeant Jackram put his head in his hands. "'Amazing, sir,' said Maledict. "'I've never seen a transformation like it.' "'Perhaps just a wee bit less old, sir,' Polly suggested, although in truth Blouse had reminded her of her Aunt Hattie two-thirds of the way through a glass of sherry. "'You think so?' said Blouse. "'Oh, well, if you're really sure.' "'And er, if you do meet a guard, um, old women don't usually try to... Uh, try to... Canoodle, cut in Maledict, whose mind had clearly been hurtling down the same horrible slope. Canoodle with them, Polly added, blushing, and then, after a second's thought, added, unless she's had a glass of sherry anyway. And I do suggest you go and have a thave, sir. Thave, said Blouse. Shave, sir, said Polly. I'll lay out the kit, sir. Oh, yes, of course. Don't see many old women with beards, eh? <laughs> Except my auntie Parthenope, as I recall. And uh, no one's got a couple of balloons, have they? asked the lieutenant. Away, sir, said Tonka. A big bosom always gets a laugh, said Blouse. He looked around the row of faces. Not a good idea, perhaps? I got a huge round of applause as the widow trembler in Tish Pity She's a Tree. No? I think Igor could sow something a bit more... "'Realistic, sir,' said Polly. "'Really? Oh, well, if you really think so,' said Blouse dejectedly. "'I'll just go and get myself into character.' He disappeared into the building's only other room. After a few seconds, the rest of them heard him reciting, "'Lorks, my poor feet!' in varying tones of fingernail screech. The squad went into a huddle. "'What was all that about?' said Tonka. "'He was talking about the theatre, said Maledict. "'What's that?' "'An abomination unto Nuggan, of course,' said the vampire. "'It'd take too long to explain, dear child. "'People pretending to be other people to tell a story in a huge room "'where the world is a different place. "'Other people sitting and watching them and eating chocolate. "'Very, very abominable.' "'I would like to eat chocolates in a great big room where the world is a different place,' "'mumbled Lofty, sadly.' "'I saw a Punch and Judy show in the town once,' said Shifty. "'Then they dragged the man away, and it became an abomination.' "'I remember that,' said Polly. "'Crocodiles should not be seen to eat figures of authority, apparently, "'although until the puppet show no one in the town knew what a crocodile was. "'The bit where the clown had beaten his wife has also contravened abomination "'because he'd used a stick thicker than the regulation one inch. "'The lieutenant won't last a minute, you know,' she said. "'Yes, but he won't listen, will he?' said Igorina. "'I'll do the best with my scissors and needle to make a woman of him, but—' "'Igorina, when it's you talking about this sort of thing, "'some very strange pictures turn up in my head,' said Maledict. "'Sorry,' said Igorina. "'Can you pray for him, Wazza?' said Polly. "'I think we're going to need a miracle here.' Wazza obediently closed her eyes and folded her hands for a moment, and then said shyly, "'I'm afraid she says it will take more than a turkey.' "'Was,' said Polly, "'do you really—' "'Then she stopped, with the bright little face watching her. "'Yes, I do,' said Wazza. "'I really talk to the Duchess.' 
Yeah, well, I used to too, snapped Tonka. I used to beg her once upon a time. That stupid face just stared and did nothing. She never stopped anything. All that stuff, all that stupid... The girl stopped, too many words blocking her brain. Anyway, why should she talk to you? Because I listen, said Wazza quietly. And what does she say? Sometimes she just cries. She cries? Because there are so many things that people want, and she can't give them anything. Wazza gave them all one of her smiles that lit up the room. But everything will be fine when I'm in the right place, she said. Well, that's all right then, Polly began, in that cloud of deep embarrassment that Wazza called up within her. You're right, said Tonka, but I'm not praying to anyone, OK, ever again. I don't like this, Waz. You're a decent kid, but I don't like the way you smile. She stopped. Oh, no. Polly stared at Wazza. Her face was thin and all angles, and the Duchess in the painting had looked, well, like an overfed turbot. But now the smile, the actual smile... I'm not putting up with that, Tonka snarled. You stop that right now, I mean it. You're giving me the creeps. Oz, you stop her, him, him smiling like that. Just calm down, all of you, Polly began. Bleeding well, shut up, said Jackram. A man can't hear himself chew. Look, you're all edgy, that happens. And Wazza here's just got a bit of religion before the fight. That happens too. And what you do is, you save it all up for the enemy. Quieten down. That is what we in the military call an order, OK? Perks, it was Blouse. You'd better hurry, said Maledict. His corset probably wants lacing. In fact, Blouse was sitting on what remained of a chair. Ah, Perks, a uh, shave, please, he said. Oh, I thought your hand was better, sir. Ah, uh, yes. Blouse looked awkward. The problem, Perks, is... I have never actually shaved myself at all, to be honest. I had a man to do it for me at school, and then, of course, in the army, I shared a batman with Blitherskite, and uh, those attempts I made on my own behalf have been somewhat bloody. I never really thought about it until I got to plots, and uh, suddenly it was embarrassing. Sorry about that, sir, said Polly. It was a strange old world. Later on, perhaps you could give me a few tips, Blouse went on. You keep yourself beautifully shaven, I can't help noticing. "'General Frock would be pleased. "'He's very anti-whiskers, they say.' "'If you like, sir,' said Polly. "'There was no getting out of it. "'She made a show of sharpening the razor. "'Perhaps she could manage it with only a few small cuts. "'Do you think I should have a reddened nose?' said Blouse. "'Probably, sir,' said Polly. "'Sarge knows about me, I'm sure,' she thought. "'I know he does. Why is he keeping quiet?' "'Probably, Perks.' "'What? Oh, no. Uh, why a red nose, sir?' said Polly, applying the lather with vigour. "'It would look more <laughs> amusing, perhaps. "'Not sure that's the purpose of the exercise, sir. "'Now, if you'd just uh, lie back, sir. "'There's something you should know about young Perks, sir.' "'Polly actually yelped. "'Walking as silently as only a sergeant can, "'Jackram had stolen into the room. <laughs> "'Sergeant,' said Blouse. "'Perks!' "'Doesn't know how to shave a man, sir,' said Jackram. "'Give me the razor, Perks.' "'Doesn't know how to shave,' said Blouse. "'No, sir. Perks lied to us, right, Perks?' "'All right, Sarge, no need to drag it out,' sighed Polly. "'Lieutenant, I'm... "'Underage,' 
said Jackram. Right, Perks? Only fourteen, aren't you? Jackram looked at Polly over the top of the lieutenant's head and winked. Er, I told a lie to get enlisted, sir, yes, said Polly. I don't think a lad like that ought to be dragged into the keep, however game he is, said Jackram, and I don't think he's the only one, right, Perks? Oh, so that's the game. Blackmail, Polly thought. Yes, Sarge, she said wearily. Can't have a massacre of little lads, sir, now can we, said Jackram. I see your p point, Sergeant, said the lieutenant, as Jackram gently drove the blade down his cheek. That is a tricky one. Best to call it a day, then, said Jackram. On the other hand, Sergeant, I do know that you p p yourself joined up as a child, said Blouse. The blade stopped moving. Well, it was all different in those, Jackram began. You were five years old, apparently, the lieutenant went on. You see, when I heard that I'd be meeting you, a legend in the army, of course I had a look at our files so that I could, perhaps, make a few timely jokes in presenting you with your honourable discharge. You know, humorous little reminiscences about times gone by. Imagine how puzzled I was, therefore, to find that you appear to have been drawing actual wages for... Well, it was a little hard to be certain, but possibly as much as sixty years. Polly had put a keen edge on the razor. It rested against the lieutenant's cheek. Polly thought about the murder, though all right, the killing of an escaping prisoner, in the woods. It won't be the first officer I've killed. Probably one of them clerical errors, sir, said Jackram coldly. In the gloomy room, with moss now colonising the walls, the sergeant loomed large. An owl, perched on the chimney, gave a screech. It echoed down into the room. "'In fact, no, sergeant,' said Blouse, apparently oblivious to the razor. "'Your package, sergeant, had been tampered with, on numerous occasions, once even by General Frock. He deducted ten years from your age and signed the change.' And he wasn't the only one. Frankly, Sergeant, I'm forced to only one conclusion. And what's that, sir? The razor halted again, still pressed against Blouse's neck. The silence seemed to last for some time, sharp and drawn out. That there was some other man called Jackram, said Blouse slowly, whose records have got mixed up with yours and... Every attempt to sort it out by officers who were not, uh, not entirely at home with figures only made it more confusing. The razor started to move again with silky smoothness. I think you put your finger right on it, sir, said Jackram. I am going to write an explanatory note and add it to the packet, Blaise went on. It seems to me the sensible thing to do would be to ask you here and now how old you are. How old are you, Sergeant? Forty-three, sir said Jackram instantly. Polly looked up, expecting the generic thunderclap that ought to accompany such a universe-sized untruth. "'Are you sure?' said Blouse. Forty-five, sir. The hardships of a soldier's life shows up on her face, sir. "'Even so. Ah, I'd recall a couple of extra birthdays what had slipped my memory, sir. I'm forty-seven, sir.' Still no rumble of celestial disapproval, Polly noticed. "'Er, uh, yes, very well. After all, you should know, eh, Sergeant?' I shall amend it. Thank you, sir. Just like General Frock did. And Major Galosh. And Colonel Leggin, Sergeant. Yes, sir. Clerical error has followed me around all the days of my life, sir. I've been a martyr to it. Jackram stood back. 
There we are, sir. Face as smooth as a baby's bum. Smooth is how things should be, eh, sir? I've always liked things smooth. They watched Lieutenant Blouse walk down through the trees to the path. They watched him join the erratic, straggling line of women on their way to the door. They listened for screams and heard none. Does any woman sway that much? said Wazza, peering through the bushes. Not legally, I think, said Polly, scanning the keep with the lieutenant's telescope. Well, we'll just have to wait for some kind of signal that he's OK. Somewhere overhead, a buzzard screamed. Oh, no, they'll have got him the moment he walked through the door, said Maledict. Bet on it. They left Jade on watch. With her paint scraped off, a troll could settle into rocky scenery so well that no one was likely to notice her before they walked into her, and by the time they'd walked into her, it was too late. They made their way back through the woods and had almost reached the ruined farmhouse when it happened. "'You are holding up well, Mal,' said Polly. "'Maybe those acorns did the trick. You haven't mentioned coffee at all.' Maledict stopped and turned slowly. To Polly's horror, his face was suddenly shiny with sweat. "'You had to bring it up, didn't you?' he said hoarsely. Oh, please, no, I was holding on so tight. I was doing so well. He fell forward, but managed to get onto his hands and knees. Then he raised his head, and his eyes were glowing red. Fetch Igorina, he muttered, gasping. I know she's ready for this. Wop, wop, wop. Wazza was praying furiously. Maledict tried to stand up again, fell back onto his knees, and raised his arms imploringly to the sky. "'Get out of here while you can,' he mumbled as his teeth visibly lengthened. "'I'll—' There was a shadow, a sense of movement, and the vampire slumped forward, stunned by an eight-ounce sack of coffee beans that had dropped out of a clear sky. Polly arrived at the farmhouse carrying Maledict on her shoulder. She made him as comfortable as possible on some ancient straw, and the squad consulted. "'Do you think we ought to try and take the sack out of his mouth?' said Shufty nervously. I tried, but he fights, said Polly. But he's unconscious. He still won't let go of it. He's sucking it. I'd swear he was out cold, but he just sort of reached out and grabbed it and bit. It dropped out of a clear sky. Tonka stared at Wazza. The Duchess does room service, she said. Now she says she didn't. You get freak rain the fish said Igorina, kneeling down by Maledict. I suppose it's possible that a whirlwind tore through a coffee plantation and then possibly a lightning discharge in the upper ether. At what point did it blow through a factory making small coffee sacks, said Tonka, ones with jolly turbaned men printed on them, apparently saying, clatchy and rare roasted, when a pickaxe is not enough? Well, if you're going to put it like that, it does seem a little far-fetched, Igorina admitted. She stood up, adding, I think he'll be fine when he wakes up. Possibly a little talkative, though. OK, lads, get some rest, said Jackram, stamping in. Let's give the Rupert a couple of hours to muck things up, and then we can nip around the valley and slip down through and join the rest of the army. Good grub and proper blankets to sleep on, hey? That's the ticket. We don't know he's going to mess up, Sarge, said Polly. Oh, yeah, right. Maybe he'll have married the command of the garrison by now, eh? Stranger things have happened, although I can't remember when. Perks and Manacle, you're on watch. The rest of you, get some shut-eye. A Slovenian patrol went past in the distance. Polly watched it out of sight. It was turning into a fine day, warm with a bit of wind. Good drying weather. A good day to be a washerwoman. 
and maybe Blouse would succeed. Maybe all the guards were blind. Paul, Shifty whispered. Yes, Shifty. Look, what was your name back in the world? Betty, it's Betty. Uh, most of the ins and outs are in the keep, right? Apparently. So that's where I'm most likely to find my fiance. yes? We've talked about that, Polly thought. Could be. Might be quite hard if there's a lot of men, said Betty, a woman with something on her mind. Well, if we get as far as the prisoners and ask around, they'll be bound to know his name. What is it? Johnny, whispered Betty. Just Johnny, said Polly. Eh, uh, yes. Ah, Polly thought, I think I know how this goes. He's got fair hair and blue eyes, and I think he had one gold earring and a funny-shaped... What do you call it? Oh, yes, sort of carbuncle on his... his... bottom, Betty went on. Right, right. Um, now I've come to tell someone, it doesn't sound very helpful, I suppose. Not unless we're in a position to have a very unusual identification parade, Polly thought, and I can't imagine what position that would be. Not as such, she said. He said everyone in the regiment knows him, Betty went on. Right? Oh, good, said Polly. All we need to do is ask. And uh, we were going to break a sixpence in half, you know, like they do, so that if he had to be away for years, we'd be sure we'd got the right person, because the two halves would match. Oh, that would be a bit of a help, I expect, said Polly. Well, yes, except, well, I gave him the sixpence, and he said he'd get the blacksmith to break it in his vice, and he went off, and uh, I think he got called away. Betty's voice trailed off. Well, that was about what I expected, Polly thought. I expect you think I'm a silly girl, mumbled Betty after a while. A foolish woman, perhaps, said Polly, turning to watch the landscape intently. It was, you know, a, a whirlwind romance. Sounds more like a hurricane to me, said Polly, and Betty grinned. Yes, it was a bit like that, she said. Polly matched smile for smile. Betty... It's daft to talk about silly and foolish at a time like this, she said. Where are we going to look for wisdom? To a god who hates jigsaws in the colour blue? A fossil government led by a picture? An army that thinks stubbornness is the same as courage? Compared to all that, all you've got wrong is timing. I don't want to end up in the school, though, said Betty, a.k.a. Shufty. They took away a girl from our village and she was kicking and screaming. Then fight them, said Polly. You've got a sword now, haven't you? Fight back. She saw the look of horror on Betty's face and remembered that this wasn't Tonka she was talking to. Look, if we get out of this alive, we'll talk to the Colonel. He might be able to help. After all, perhaps your boy really was called Johnny, she thought. Perhaps he really was called away suddenly. Hope is a wonderful thing, she went on. If we get out of this, there's going to be no school and no beatings. Not for you or any of us. Not if we've got brains. Not if we're smart. Betty was almost in tears, but she managed another smile. And was is talking to the Duchess, too. She'll fix things. Polly stared out at the bright, unchanging landscape, empty except for a buzzard making wide circles in the forbidden blue. I'm not sure about that, she said, but someone up there likes us. Twilight was brief at this time of year. There had been no sign from Blouse. I watched until I couldn't see, said Jade as they sat and watched Shufty make stew. 
Some of the women that came out was ones I saw going in this morning too. Are you sure? said Jackram. We might be fixed, Sarge, said Jade, looking hurt, but trolls have great, er, uh, viz you all ac you it tea. More women was going in this evening too. Night shift, said Tonka. Oh, well, he tried, said Jackram. With any luck, he's in a nice warm cell and they found him a pair of long pants. Get your kit together, lads. We'll creep around and into our lines and you'll be snug in bed by midnight. Polly remembered what she'd said hours ago about fighting. You had to start somewhere. I want to try the keep again, she said. You do perks, do you? said Jackram with mock interest. My brother's in there. Nice safe place for him, then. He might be injured. I vote for the keep. Vote, said Jackram. My word, that's a new one. Voting in the army. Who wants to get killed, lads? Let's have a show of hands. Knock it off, Perks. I'm going to try it, Sarge. You are not. Try and stop me. The words came out before she could stop them. And that's it, she thought. The shout heard round the world. No going back after this. I've run off the edge of the cliff and it's all downhill from here. Jackram's expression stayed blank for a second or two, and then he said, "'Anyone else voting for the keep?' Polly looked at Shufty, who blushed, but, "'We are,' said Tonka. Beside her, Lofty struck a match and held it so that it flared. That was pretty much a speech from Lofty. "'Why, pray?' said Jackram. "'We don't want to sit around in a swamp,' said Tonka, "'and we don't like being ordered about.' "'Should have thought of that before you joined the army, lad.' We aren't lads, Sarge. You are if I says you are. Well, it's not as though I wasn't expecting it, Polly thought. I've played this out enough times in my head. Here goes. All right, Sarge, she said. It's time to have it out, here and now. Ooh, said Jackram, theatrically, fishing his screwed-up paper of tobacco out of his pocket. What? Jackram sat down on the remains of a wall. Just injecting a little sauciness into the conversation, he said. Carry on, Perks. Have your say. I thought it had come to this. You know I'm a woman, Sarge, said Polly. Yep, I wouldn't trust you to shave cheese. The squad stared. Jackram opened his big knife and examined the chewing tobacco as though it was the most interesting thing present. So, er, uh, what are you going to do about it? said Polly, feeling derailed. Dunno. Can't do anything, can I? You were born like it. You didn't tell Blouse, said Polly. Nope. Polly wanted to knock the wretched tobacco out of the sergeant's hand. Now that she had got over the surprise, there was something offensive about this lack of reaction. It was like someone opening a door just before your battering ram hit it. Suddenly you were running through the building and not certain how to stop. Well, we're all women, Sarge, said Tonka. How about that? Jackram sawed at the tobacco. So, he said, still paying attention to the job in hand. What? said Polly. Think no one else ever tried it? Think you're the only ones? Think your old Sarge is deaf, blind and stupid? You could fool one another, and anyone can fool a Rupert, but you can't fool Jackram. Weren't sure about Maledict, and still ain't, because with a vampire, who knows? And not sure about you, Carborundum, because with a troll, who cares? No offence. None taken, rumbled Jade. She caught Polly's eye and shrugged. Not so good at reading the signs, not knowing many trolls, said the sergeant. I had you down pat in the first minute, Oz. 
Something in the eyes, I reckon. Like you were watching to see how good you were. Oh, hell, Polly thought. Eh, uh, do I have a pair of socks belonging to you? Yep, well washed, I might add. You'll have them back right now, said Polly, grabbing for her belt. In your own time, Perks, in your own time, no rush, said Jackram, raising a hand. Well washed, please. Why, Sarge, said Tonka, why didn't you give us away? You could have given us away any time. Jackram slewed his wad from cheek to cheek and sat chewing for a while, staring at nothing. No, you ain't the first, he said. I've seen a few, mostly by themselves, always frightened, and mostly they didn't last long. But one or two of them were bonny soldiers, very bonny soldiers indeed. So I looked at you lot and I thought to myself, well now, I thought, I wonder how they'll do when they find out they're not alone. You know about lions? They nodded. Well, the lion is a big old coward mostly. If you want trouble, you want to tangle with the lioness. They're killers and they hunt together. It's the same everywhere. If you want big grief, look to the ladies. Even with insects, right? There's a kind of beetle where she bites his head off right while he's exercising his conjugals. And that's what I call serious grief. On the other hand, from what I heard, he carries on regardless. So maybe it's not the same for beetles. He looked around at their blank expressions. No, he said. Well, maybe I thought a whole bunch of girls all at once. That's strange. Maybe there's a reason. Polly saw him glance briefly at Wazza. Anyway, I wasn't going to shame you all in front of a little toad like Strappy, and then there was all that business in plots, and then, well, we was galloping, as it were, caught up in things with no time to get off. You did well, lads, very well, shaped up like good uns. I'm going into the keep, said Polly. Oh, don't worry about the Rupert, said Jackram. Probably he's enjoying a nice bowl of scubbo right now. He went to a school for young gentlemen, so prison will be just like old times. We're still going, Sarge. Sorry, said Polly. Oh, don't say sorry, Perks. You were doing well up until then, said Jackram bitterly. Shufty stood up. I'm going too, she said. I think my fiancé is in there. I have to go, said Wazza. The Duchess guides my steps. I'll go then, said Igorina. I'm probably going to be needed. I shouldn't think I could get by as a washerwoman, rumbled Jade. I'll stay here and watch over Mal. Ha, if he's still after blood when he wakes up, he's going to have blunt teeth. They looked at one another in silence, embarrassed but defiant. Then there was the sound of someone clapping slowly. Oh, very nice, said Jackram. A band of brothers, eh? Oh, sorry, sisters. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Look, Blouse was a fool. It was probably all them books. He read all that stuff about it being a noble thing to die for your country, I expect. I was never that keen on reading, but I know the job is making some other poor devil die for his. He slewed his black tobacco from side to side. I wanted you to be safe, lads. Down in the press of men, I reckoned I could get you through this, no matter how many friends the prince has sent after you. I look at you, lads, and I think, you poor boys, you don't know nothing about war. What are you going to do? Tonka, you are a crack shot, but after one shot, who's backing you up while you reload? Perks, you know a trick or two, but the blokes in the castle will maybe know a trick or five. You're a good cook, Shifty. Too bad it's going to be too hot in there. Will the Duchess turn aside arrows, was her? Yes, she will. I hope you're right, my lad. 
said Jackram, giving the girl a long, slow look. Personally, I've found religion in battle is as much use as a chocolate helmet. You'll need more than a prayer if Prince Heinrich catches you, I might add. We're going to try it, Sarge, said Polly. There's nothing for us in the army. Will you come with us, Sarge? said Shufty. No, lad. Me as a washerwoman, I doubt it. Don't seem to have a skirt anywhere about me for a start. Uh, just one thing, lads. How are you going to get in? In the morning, when we see the women going in again, said Polly. Got it all planned, General, and you'll be dressed as women. Er, uh, we are women, Sarge, said Polly. Yes, lad, technical detail, but you kitted out the Rupert with all your little knick-knacks, didn't you? What are you going to do? Tell the guards you opened the wrong cupboard in the dark? Another embarrassed silence descended. Jackram sighed. This ain't proper war, he said. Still, I said I'd look after you. You are my little lads, I said, his eyes gleamed. And you still are, even if the world's turned upside down. I'll just have to hope, Miss Perks, that you picked up a few tricks from old Sarge, although I reckon you can think of a few of your own. And now I'd better get you kitted up, right? Perhaps we could sneak in and steal something from the villages where the servants come from, said Tonka. From a bunch of poor women, said Polly, her heart sinking. Anyway, there'll be soldiers everywhere. Well, how do we get women's clothes on the battlefield? said Lofty. Jackram laughed, stood up, stuck his thumbs in his belt and grinned. I told you, lads, you don't know nothing about war, he said. And one of the things they didn't know was that it had edges. Polly wasn't certain what she'd expected. Men and horses, obviously. In her mind's eye, they were engaged in mortal combat, but obviously you couldn't go on doing that all day. So there would be tents, and that was about as far as the mind's eye had seen. It hadn't seen that an army on campaign is a sort of large, portable city. It has only one employer, and it manufactures dead people, but like all cities, it attracts citizens. What was unnerving was the sound of babies crying off in the rows of tents. She hadn't expected that. Or the mud. Or the crowds. Everywhere there were fires and the smell of cooking. This was a siege, after all. People had settled in. Getting down onto the plain in the dark had been easy. There was only Polly and Shufty trailing after the sergeant, who'd said that more would be too many and in any case would attract too much attention. There were patrols, but their edge had been dulled by sheer repetitiveness. Besides, the Allies weren't expecting anyone to make much effort to get into the valley, at least in small groups. And men in the dark make noise, far more noise than a woman. They'd located a Borogravian sentry in the gloom by the noise of him trying to suck a morsel of dinner out of his teeth. But another one had located them when they were a stone's throw from the tents. He was young, so he was still keen. Halt! Uh, who goes there, friend or foe? The light from a cooking fire glinted off a crossbow. See, whispered Jackram, this is where your uniform is your friend. Aren't you glad you kept it? He swaggered forwards and spat tobacco between the young sentry's boots. My name's Jackram, he said. That's Sergeant Jackram. As for the other bit, you choose. Sergeant Jackram, said the boy, his mouth staying open. Yes, lad. What, the one who killed sixteen men at the Battle of Zop? There was only ten of them, but good lad for knowing it. 
The Jackram who carried General Frock through fourteen miles of enemy territory? That's right. Polly saw teeth in the gloom as the sentry grinned. My dad told me he fought with you at Blunderberg. Ah, that was a hot battle, that was, said Jackram. No, he meant in the pub afterwards. He pinched your drink and you smacked him in the gob and he kicked you in the nadgers and you hit him in the guts and he blacked your eye and then you hit him with a table and when he came round his mate stood in beer for the evening for managing to lay nearly three punches on Sergeant Jackram. He tells the story every year when it's the anniversary and he's uh, reminiscing. Jackram thought for a moment and then jabbed a finger at the young man. Joe Haberkirk, right? he said. The smile broadened to the point where the top of the young man's head was in danger of falling off. "'He'll be smirking all day when I tell him you remember him, Sarge,' said the sentry. "'He says that where you piss, grass don't grow.' "'Well, what can a modest man say to that, eh?' said Jackram. Then the young man frowned. "'Funny, though. He thought you were dead, Sarge,' he said. "'Tell him I bet him a shilling I'm not,' said Jackram. "'And your name, lad?' "'Lart, Sarge. Lart Habakirk.' "'Glad you joined, are you?' "'Yes, Sarge,' said Lart loyally. "'We're just having a stroll, lad. "'Tell your dad I asked after him.' "'I will, Sarge.' "'The boy stood to attention like a one-man guard of honour. "'This is a proud moment for me, Sarge.' "'Does everyone know you, Sarge?' whispered Polly as they walked away. "'I pretty much, on our side anyway. "'I'll make so bold as to declare "'that most of the enemy that meets me "'don't know anything much afterwards.' "'I never thought it was going to be like this,' hissed Shufty. "'Like what?' said Jackram. "'There's women and children, shops. I can smell bread-baking. It's like a... a city.' "'Yeah, but what we're after isn't going to be in the main streets. Follow me, lads.' Sergeant Jackram, suddenly furtive, ducked between two big heaps of boxes and emerged beside a smithy, its forge glowing in the dusk. Here the tents were open-sided. Armourers and saddlers worked by lantern light, shadows flickering across the mud. Polly and Shufty had to step out of the way of a mule train, each animal carrying two casks on its back. The mules moved aside for Jackram. Maybe he's met them before too, thought Polly. Maybe he really does know everyone. The sergeants walked like a man with the deeds to the world. He acknowledged other sergeants with a nod, lazily saluted the few officers they were around here, and ignored everybody else. "'You been here before, Sarge?' said Shufty. "'No, lad.' "'But you know where you're going?' "'Correct. I ain't been here, but I know battlefields, "'especially when everyone's had a chance to dig in.' Jackram sniffed the air. "'Ah, right, that's the stuff. Just you two wait here.' He disappeared between two stacks of lumber. They heard a distant muttering, and after a moment or two, Jackram reappeared holding a small bottle. Polly grinned. "'Is that rum, Sarge?' "'Well done, my little bar steward. "'And it would be nice if it was rum upon my word, "'or whisky, or gin, or brandy. "'But this don't have none of those fancy names. "'This is the genuine Stingo, this is. "'Pure hangman.' "'Hangman?' said Shufty. "'One drop and you're dead,' said Polly. "'Jackram beamed as a master to a keen pupil. "'That's right, Shufty. It's rotgut. Wheresoever men are gathered together, someone will find something to ferment in a rubber boot, distill in an old kettle, and flog to his mates. Made from rats by the smell of it. Ferments well, does your average rat. Fancy a taste? Shufty shied away from the proffered bottle. The sergeant laughed. Good lad, stick to beer, he said. Don't the officers stop it, said Polly. 
Officers? What do they know about anything? said Jackram. And I bought this off a sergeant, too. Anyone watching us? Polly peered into the gloom. No, Sarge? Jackram poured some of the liquid into one pudgy hand and splashed it onto his face. Ouch! he hissed. Stings like the blazes. And now to kill the toothworms. Got to do the job properly. He took a quick sip from the bottle, spat it out, and shoved the cork back in. Muck, he said. OK, let's go. Where are we going, Sarge? said Shufty. You can tell us now, can't you? A quiet little place where our needs will be met, said Jackram. It's around here somewhere. You don't half smell of drink, Sarge, said Shufty. Will they let you in if you smell drunk? Yes, Shufty lad, they will, said Jackram, setting off again. The reason being, my pockets jingle and I smell of booze. Everyone likes a rich drunk. Ah, down this little valley here, that'll be our... Yeah, I was right, this is the place. Tucked away, delicate-like. See any clothes hanging out to dry boys? There were a few washing lines strung behind the half-dozen or so drab tents in this side valley, which was little more than a wash gouged out by winter rains. If there had been anything on them, it had been taken in against the heavy dew. Shame, said Jackram. OK, so we'll have to do it the hard way. Remember, just act natural and listen to what I say. I'm shaking, Sarge, Shifty muttered. Good, good, very natural, said Jackram. This is our place, I think. Nice and quiet, no one watching us. Nice little path up there to the top of the wash. He stopped outside a very large tent and tapped on the board outside with his swagger stick. The solid doves, Polly read. Yeah, well, these ladies weren't hired for their spelling, said Jackram, pushing open the flap of the tent of ill repute. Inside was a stuffy little area, a sort of canvas antechamber. A lady, lumpy and crow-like in a black bombazine dress, rose from a chair and gave the trio the most calculating look Polly had ever met. It finished off by putting a price on her boots. The sergeant doffed his cap and, in a jovial, rotund voice that peed brandy and crapped plum pudding, said, "'Good evening, madame. Sergeant Smith's the name, yes, indeed, and me and my bold lads here have been so fortunate as to acquire the spoils of war, if you catch my drift, and nothing would do for it but they were clamouring, clamouring to go to the nearest house of good repute for to have a man made of them.' Little beady eyes skewered Polly again, Shufty, ears glowing like signal beacons, was staring fixedly at the ground. "'Looks like that'll be a job and a half,' said the woman shortly. "'You never spoke a truer word, madame,' beamed Jackram. Two of your fair flowers apiece should do it, I reckon.' There was a clink as, staggering slightly, Jackram put several gold coins on the rickety little table. Something about the gleam of it thawed things no end, the woman's face cracked into a smile as glutinous as slug gravy. "'Well, now, we're always honoured to entertain the ins and outs, Sergeant,' she said. "'And if you gentlemen would like to step through to the uh, inner sanctum?' Polly heard a very faint sound behind her and turned. She hadn't noticed the man sitting on a chair just inside the door. He had to be a man because trolls weren't pink. He made eyebrow back in plume look like some kind of weed.' He wore leather, which was what she'd heard creaking, and he had his eyes just slightly open. When he saw her looking at him, he winked. It wasn't a friendly wink. There are times when a plan suddenly isn't going to work. 
when you're in the middle of it is not the time to find this out. Eh, Sarge, she said. The sergeant turned, saw her frantic grimace, and appeared to spot the guard for the first time. Oh, dear, where's my manners, he said, lurching back and fumbling in his pocket. He came up with a gold coin which he folded in the astonished man's hand. Then he turned around, tapping the side of his nose with an expression of idiot knowingness. A word of advice, lads, he said. Always give the guard a tip. He keeps the riffraff out very important. Very important man. He stumbled back to the lady in black and belched hugely. And now, madame, if we can meet these visions of loveliness you are hiding under this here bushel, he said. It depended, Polly thought a few seconds later, on how and when, and after drinking how much of what, that you had those visions. She knew about these places. Serving behind a bar can really broaden your education. There were a number of ladies back home who were, as her mother put it, no better than they should be. And at twelve years old, Polly had got a smack for asking how good they should have been then. They were an abomination unto Nuggan, but men have always found space in their religion for a little sinning here and there. The word to describe the four ladies seated in the room beyond, if you wanted to be kind, was tired. If you didn't want to be kind, a whole range of words were just hanging in the air. They looked up without much interest. "'This is faith, prudence, grace and comfort,' said the lady of the house. "'The night shift has not yet come on, I'm afraid.' "'I'm sure these beauties will be a great education for my roaring boys,' said the sergeant. "'But may I be so bold as to inquire about your name, madame?' "'I'm Mrs. Smother, sergeant. "'And do you have a first name, may I ask?' "'Dolores?' said Mrs. Smother. "'To my special friends?' "'Well now, Dolores,' said Jackram, and there was another jingle of coins in his pocket. "'I will come right out with it and be frank, because I can see you are a woman of the world. "'These frail blossoms are all very well in their way, "'for I know the fashion these days is for ladies with less meat on them than a butcher's pencil. "'But a gentleman such as me, who has been around the world and seen a thing or two, "'well, he learns the value of maturity.' he sighed. Not to mention hope and patience. The coins jingled again. Perhaps you and I might retire to some suitable boudoir, madame, and discuss the matter over a cordial or two. Mrs. Smother looked from the sergeant to the lads, glanced back in the anteroom, and looked back at Jackram with her head on one side and a thin, calculating smile on her lips. Yes, she said. You're a fine figure of a man, Sergeant Smith. Let us take a load off your pocket, shall we? She joined arm in arm with the sergeant, who winked roguishly at Polly and Shufty. We're well set then, lads, he chuckled. Now, just so as you don't get carried away, when it's time to go, I'll blow my whistle, and you'd better have finished what you're doing. <laughs> and meet me sharpish. Duty calls. Remember the fine traditions of the ins and outs. Giggling and almost tripping up, he left the room on the arm of the proprietress. Shufty sidled hurriedly up to Polly and whispered, "'Is Sarge all right, Elsa?' "'He's just had a bit too much to drink,' said Polly loudly, as all four of the girls stood up. "'But he—' Shufty got a nudge in the ribs before she could say any more. One of the girls carefully laid down her knitting, took Polly's arm, flashed her well-crafted expression of interest, and said, "'You're a well-set-up young man, aren't you? What's your name, dear? I'm Gracie.' 
Oliver, said Polly, and what the hell is the fine tradition of the ins and outs? Ever seen a woman with no clothes on before, Oliver? The girls giggled. Polly's brow wrinkled as, just for a moment, she was caught unawares. Yes, she said, of course. Oh, it looks like we got ourselves a regular Don, Jew and girls, said Gracie, stepping back. We may have to send out for reinforcements. Why don't you and me and Prudence go off to a little nook I know, and your little friend will be the guest of faith and comfort. Comfort's very good with young men, ain't you, comfort? Sergeant Jackram had been wrong in his description of the girls. Three of them were indeed several meals short of a healthy weight, but when Comfort got up out of her large armchair, you realised that it had in fact been quite a small armchair and had mostly been Comfort. For a large woman, she had a small face locked in a piggy-eyed scowl. There was a death's head tattoo on one arm. "'He's young,' said Gracie. "'He'll heal. Come along, Don Juan.' In a way, Polly was relieved. She didn't take to the girls. Oh, the profession could bring anyone down, but she'd got to know some of the town's ladies of uneasy virtue, and they had an edge she couldn't find here. "'Why do you work here?' she said as they entered a smaller, canvas-walled room. There was a rickety bed, taking up most of the space. "'You know, you look a bit too young to be that sort of customer,' said Gracie. "'What sort?' said Polly. "'Oh, uh, holy Joe,' said Gracie. "'What's a girl like you doing in a place like this and all that stuff?' Feel sorry for us, do you? At least if someone cuts up rough, we've got Gary outside, and after he's finished with the bloke, the colonel gets told, and a bastard gets bunged in clink. Yeah, said Prudence. From what we hear, we're the safest ladies within twenty-five miles. Old Smother's not too bad. We get money to keep, and we get fed, and she don't beat us, which is more than can be said for husbands. And you can't wander around loose now, can you? Jackram put up with blouse because you've got to have an officer, Polly thought. If you don't have an officer, some other officer will take you over. And a woman by herself is missing a man, while a man by himself is his own master. Trousers, that's the secret. Trousers and a pair of socks. I never dreamed it was like this. Put on trousers and the world changes. We walk different. We act different. I see these girls and I think, idiots, get yourself some trousers. "'Can you please get your clothes off?' she said. "'I think we'd better hurry.' "'One of the ins and outs, this one,' said Gracie, "'slipping her dress off her shoulders. "'Keep an eye on your cheeses, Prue.' Uh, "'Why does that mean we're in the ins and outs?' said Polly. "'She made a show of unbuttoning her jacket, "'wishing that she believed in anyone there to pray "'so that she could pray for the whistle. "'That's cos you lads always have your eye on business,' said Gracie. "'And maybe there was someone listening at that. "'The whistle blew.' Polly grabbed the dresses and ran out, oblivious to the yells behind her. She collided with Shufty outside, tripped over the groaning form of Gary, saw Sergeant Jackram holding the tent flap open, and bulleted into the night. "'This way!' the sergeant hissed, grabbing her by the collar before she'd gone a few feet and swinging her round. "'You too, Shufty, move!' He ran up the side of the wash like a child's balloon being blown by the wind, leaving them to scramble after him. His arms were full of clothing, which snagged and danced behind him. Up above was knee-deep scrub, treacherous in the gloom. They tripped and staggered across it until they reached heavier growth, whereupon the sergeant got hold of both of them and pushed them into the bushes. The shouts and screams were fainter now. "'Now we'll just keep quiet-like,' he whispered. "'There's patrols about.' "'They'll be bound to find us,' Polly hissed, while Shufty wheezed. "'No, they won't,' said Jackram. 
First, they'll all be running towards the shouting, because that's nature. There they go. Polly heard more shouts in the distance. And bloody fools they are too. They're supposed to be guarding the perimeter, and they're running towards trouble in the camp. And they're running straight towards lamplight, so there goes their night eyes. If I was their sergeant, they'd be due a fizzer. Come on. He stood up and pulled Shufty to her feet. Feeling all right, Dad? It was horrible, Sarge. One of them put her hand on... on my socks. Something that hasn't often happened, I'll bet any man, said Jackram. But you did a good job. Now we'll walk nice and quiet and no more talking till I say, OK? They plodded on for ten minutes, skirting the camp. They heard several patrols and saw a couple of others on the hilltops as the moon rose. But it dawned on Polly that, loud though the shouting had been, it was only part of the huge patchwork of sound that rose out of the camp. The patrols this far away probably hadn't heard it, or at least were commanded by the kind of soldiers who didn't want to get put on a fizzer. In the dark she heard Jackram take a deep breath. OK, that's far enough. Not a bad job of work, lads. You're real ins and outs now. That guard was out cold, said Polly. Did you eat him? You see, I'm fat, said Jackram. People don't think fat men can fight. They think fat men are funny. They think wrong. Gave him a chop to the windpipe. Sarge, said Shufty, horrified. What? What? He was coming at me with his club, said Jackram. Why was he doing that, Sarge? Oh, you cunning soldier, you, said Jackram. All right, I grant you that I'd just given Madame the old quietus. But, to be fair, I know when someone's just handed me a bleeding drink full of sleepy drops. You hit a woman, Sarge, said Polly. Yeah, and maybe when she wakes up in her corsets, she'll decide that next time a poor old drunk fat man wanders in, it mightn't be such a good idea to try to roll him for his wad, growled Jackram. I'd be in a ditch without my drawers on and a damn great headache if she'd had her way. And if you two was daft enough to complain to an officer, she'd swear black was blue that I didn't have a penny on me when I came in and was drunk and disorderly. And the colonel wouldn't care a fig, because he'd reckon a sergeant daft enough to get caught like that at it coming to him. I know, you see. I look after my lads. There was a clink in the dark. Plus a few extra dollars won't go amiss. "'Sarge, you didn't steal the cash-box, did you?' said Polly. "'Yep. Got a good armful of her wardrobe, too.' "'Good,' said Shufty fervently. "'It wasn't a nice place.' "'It was mostly my money, in any case,' said Jackram. "'Business has been a bit slow today, by the feel of it.' "'But it's immoral earnings,' said Polly, and then felt a complete fool for saying it. "'No,' said Jackram. "'It was immoral earnings. Now it's the proceeds of common theft.' Life's a lot easier when you learns to think straight. End of CD 7